All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. What I think is kind of lovely is that one of the implicit premises of the entire field of computer science is that thinking is bad. <laughs> you know, the, the you objective of any algorithm designer or any computer scientist, is to minimize the amount of time that the machine spends processing. Brain farts, dealing with email, getting drinks on the calendar, all these little things that just annoy you throughout the day. What if you just applied a little algorithmic thinking? Could you actually be more efficient, and enjoy life more. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is my kind of nerding out. Like, can computational science help us enjoy a meal more? We wander around like aimless sharks, <laughs> looking for our next meal, thinking that the better thing is always just down the block. Or even find a better boyfriend faster. Okay, I'm just going to pass. He's not better than these first two guys. I just decided. This week and next, we use some abstract ideas to solve some all too real and sometimes annoying problems. Yep, you're going to hang out with my sister and note to self-producer Jenna Cagle on next week's episode. But first, you and I are going to get some basic mathematic rules that can help us get better organized. We're going to make a few numeric tweaks to all those little decisions that we make every single day. Meet our coach. I'm Brian Christian, and I'm the co-author of Algorithms to Live By, the Computer Science of Human Decisions. Brian is a rare bird. He majored in both computer science and philosophy. He got an MFA in poetry. But he is also all about the intersection of technology and humanity. He wrote Algorithms to Live By with his friend, Tom Griffiths, a professor of psychology and cognitive science at UC Berkeley. Tom and Brian are both kind of obsessed with using numbers to understand people and help them make smarter choices. What we think of as these kind of intrinsically or uniquely human types of decisions, they're not uniquely human decisions. They, in fact, map to this fundamental set of problems that computer scientists have been thinking about for 50 years. What are some of these algorithms to live by? Let's start with something very simple. That growing stack of papers that makes your desk look so messy and annoys the crap out of your coworkers. The math says, don't even bother cleaning up. The principle in computer science is called temporal locality, which is just a fancy way of saying the thing that you need next is most likely to be something that you were just recently working with. 
So let's translate that into like real yeah. life. What does that yeah. look like? So literally, if you've got a hundred pieces of paper on your desk, the paper that you're most likely to touch next is the last one you touched. The, the <laughs> so paper... there's no point in like putting them into nice stacks or filing them. Well, this is the thing that I think is just wildly counterintuitive to people is that the standard chaotic, lazy approach is to just put them in one big pile, right? But there's something really interesting that's going on here, which is that the pile organically resembles reverse chronological order of the last time you touched that paper, which, as it turns out, there's this whole literature in computer science that says, in fact, that is the optimal order for that information to be in, is reverse chronological by the last time you touched it. So messy desk people, rejoice. You That crazy stack of paper, I am rejoicing actually right now. I have that exact stack, and I always say to myself, I got to go through this and figure out what belongs where. Right. You've just given me permission to leave it. You have already put it in the optimal order. That feels good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that old truism, an ordered desk indicates an ordered mind. Wrong. Not true. Temporal locality says nah. That is algorithm number one. Now, get this. Algorithm number two applies to your inbox and email. And the old question, am I just wasting my time trying to manage it all? And the answer is yes. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Why? Um, One of the principles that we talk about, especially in the field of sorting, is called the search-sort trade-off. There's this question of why sort something? Do we sort it just for the aesthetics of it looks good sorted in all those folders? From a computer science perspective, no. The one and only reason you would sort something is to make it easier to search for that thing later on. Right. And so there's a very straightforward question you can ask, which is, does it take you more time to sort everything than it would take to search for something if you hadn't sorted it? So in the case of your email box, for example, you have to weigh... How much effort am I spending tagging, categorizing, filing every single email that comes in for the one or two times that I end up, you know, scavenging for something that I don't know how to find? And it kind of comes down to your use case. If you find yourself in that position often enough, then it is worth the investment, even though that investment involves constant maintenance. If it's infrequent enough, then you can simply get away with not taking the time to organize things. So you don't believe in inbox zero, do you? I strive. I strive do for you? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. But I do not categorize or file archived emails in any way. You just shove them into somewhere. I just shove them into one big, one giant, yeah, blob. And it's one of these things where if you're in that situation where you're looking through this messy folder... You shouldn't beat yourself up. This is just the trade-off that you were deliberately making. Yes! Chaos can actually be mathematically considered a deliberate trade-off. And it has a name. The search-sort trade-off. Now, what about the people who you are actually emailing? Is there a better way to get them to respond to an invitation or a question? Welcome to algorithm number three, which is one Brian and his co-author came up with themselves. They call it simply computational kindness. The traditional rule of etiquette is if you're trying to decide, let's say, where to eat or where to meet, 
you defer Not to the easy. other person. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, whatever you want to do. The story from a computational perspective is you're basically you're passing the computational buck and saying there's a problem to be solved. <laughs> you handle it. You deal right. with it. Right. You know that it actually is, and I had no idea there was computer science involved in this, but a parenting rule, which is with a toddler, you never say, "What do you want to wear." You yeah. say, do you want to wear the orange pants or the green pants? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so it's a combination. There's an act of kindness both in the agency that you grant them, but also in the constraints that you've given to the problem. Not bossy or passive aggressive, just computationally kind. It's easier to answer in a binary fashion, am I free at Tuesday at 10.30? Right. Rather than let me check my schedule and think about when the most convenient times would be, but I'm still waiting to hear back from that person about something, so I'm just going to flag this email, but then it's going to stay in my inbox. Let's spend less time thinking about scheduling meetings and more time thinking about what we're actually talking about in those meetings. It's revolutionary. I know. Your next algorithm... Number four, explain something less tangible. Not your desk, email, or scheduling. It tackles the deeply inexplicable brain fart. You know, you like suddenly lose your train of thought. You can't come up with someone's name. Are you having a senior moment? You're a little young for that, no? So if you think about the brain as this kind of storage mechanism... The amount of information that you accumulate as you go through life is just astronomical. And so the challenge as you get older is not how to have a mind that can flawlessly recall every single thing. Computer science teaches us that there's a fundamental trade-off between size and speed. If you make a memory that's larger, it's necessarily intrinsically slower. There's just no way around that. Um, and, and the curves of how much slower it gets as it gets larger are, are not pleasant. And so um, it's basically that like when we say that older people are slower, it's more like they just have more data and therefore it's harder to get the stuff out. Exactly. I mean, if you imagine... It's a nicer way of looking at it, by the way. It's a nicer way of looking <laughs> at it. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it, right? On the one hand, what we think of as you know, failures in the performance of how their mind works, they're actually just intrinsic difficulties with storing more information. You know, if you were to look up a book in the Library of Congress, it would simply take you longer to find that title than if you were to look for that book at your local branch. And so, you know, the pessimistic story is that all of us are on this track to slower and slower performance, but that we shouldn't think of that as faulty wiring or something like this, but is actually an intrinsic trade-off that we make when we learn more. And actually the phrase, and you say that we should just think of it as a cash miss, Mm -hmm. a brain fart as cash miss, cash, C-A-C-H-E. Caches are, yeah, one of the intrinsic principles in computer science in terms of how to handle, you know, enormous amounts of information. Brain fart, cash miss. So don't feel bad if you can't remember something. You are storing so much information, your brain just needs time to access it, smarty pants. Okay, in a minute. As you go through life, the chance of having your mind blown by something is just smaller. The mathematical reason why your parents or grandparents always want to go to the same restaurant and why they absolutely should. Plus, how algorithms can help you make sense of the meaning of life. For real. 
We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is Note to Self. And author Brian Christian is talking us through Algorithms to Live By, the computer science of human decisions. Okay, so we have had how to deal with email, a messy desk, brain farts, and making appointments. Your fifth algorithm to live by is something called... The explore-exploit trade-off, which addresses this tension between how much of your time and energy should go into just enjoying your favorite things, how much time and energy should go into trying new things. And so we intuitively understand that life is kind of a balance between doing the things you know and love, but always being kind of open to new possibilities. Computer science says, that's correct, and here is exactly what that balance should be. And namely, it should change over time. So if you think about it, the first you know, rock concert you ever go to is by definition the most amazing concert you've ever been to. Yeah, squeeze. It was <laughs> exactly. awesome. I was in ninth grade. Exactly. And then the second concert you go to has a 50% chance of being the best concert you've ever been to. And so as you go through life... Um, Things are never as good as you remember them. You know, the chance of having your mind blown by something is just smaller because you've already experienced so much and you already have these really great things that you can go back to. So that explains why grandpa keeps going back to the same restaurants because he's like, I've tried a lot of restaurants. I have a lot to compare. Like I, right. I've created a subset. I know what good is on my spectrum here. Yeah. And so these ones meet that criteria. Why would I risk going exactly. to other things that won't live up to those expectations? Exactly. Yeah. And there's two sides to it. So the first is exactly what you say, which is like, it's just actually mathematically unlikely that he'll find a restaurant that's better <laughs> than his favorite one out of the thousands that he's been to. The second component is that if he does find a restaurant that's even better than his current favorite, there's just literally less time to return and less opportunities to go there. It's so dark, isn't it, Brian? I mean, you know, mortality <laughs> is intense. But it, in a way, it gives structure to our entire life, which is that it makes sense to be extremely exploratory earlier in life because, A, the odds of finding something new and great are pretty good, and B... Should you find something better than what you already know about, you have a lot of time to enjoy it. I love that. All right, nothing like death to give structure to our lives. That's a computer scientist talking for you. I mean, that's what's interesting to me is a lot of these, you're like, you read it and you have this, huh, you know, yeah. whoa, it's true. The data, the numbers, the computer science says so. But I kind of feel like I knew this all along. Is there something about humans that is mathematically divined in some way? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, one of the premises of the book is that humans and computers, we're sort of in this thing together. We're confronted with a shared set of problems and we're suffering from a shared set of constraints, whether that's, you know, a CPU that's trying to check your email and download a file and play that MP3 without making the screen jitter, or one of us trying to get done whatever we have to get done in a day. The one thing I would say that listening to you explain where the humans and the computer science overlap, mm -hmm. but the one point of real difference that I sense is human satisfaction. Yeah. I want to use an example of something very... Uh, kind of ridiculous that I did the other night. Mm -hmm. I said to my son, he's eight, you know, all the Lego experts say that you're supposed to sort your Legos by color. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had nothing on the agenda. It was raining outside. <laughs> we dumped it all out on yeah. the floor. And for a moment, I was like, 
what have I done? Mm-hmm. But we did it. Mostly mommy did it. Okay. We sorted by color. And according to what you've just told me, that is just stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's compounded. I mean, if it's a fun exercise on a rainy day, no, then it was I, not I, fun at okay. all. Okay, but, but it looked amazing, Brian. Like these, these like beautiful, clear containers, and one is all white, the other is all blue, the next is all green, and there is something so visually inviting that makes you want to build. Whereas mm-hmm. when you have these boxes of mishmashy gook, right? I just noticed that he doesn't even play with them anymore. But this is intriguing it is inspiring yeah so i mean i have two reactions to that one is there's of course this aesthetic component that computer science doesn't intrinsically care about but people do we interviewed this japanese efficiency guru named uh noguchi and he organizes his entire office using one giant file box that just contains absolutely everything and it just winds around and he says you know a colleague came into my office and was just horrified he said this is really ugly and i said well it works (laughs) my goal is not to be pretty my goal is to be efficient so to your thing with legos a computer scientist would identify this as what's called a radix sort just making a sort of an armchair analysis I would say that's going to be harder yes. to look through a box of all blue Legos for something of the right size rather than if you'd done your radix sort the other way and you had a box of all four by two bricks and a box of all like five by one bricks or whatever. And then you go into that box knowing you want the blue one and you can immediately identify where the blue one is just visually. It sounds like with all of these, it comes down to personal taste in terms of w- what is most important to you? Is it efficiency? Is it beauty? This is hugely important. We get into this in the scheduling chapter. You know, people want a magic bullet for how do I structure my time? And the verdict that you get from computer science is uh, there's no one right way to schedule your time. It depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to simply cross things off your to-do list as quickly as possible, you get one algorithm called SPT. If your goal is to have no single task go too long overdue, there's a different algorithm called EDD. If you want to minimize the number of jobs that are late, then there's a third algorithm. So I think the important moral here is computer science offers a way to most effectively achieve your goals. But it's up to you to determine what those goals are. Okay, next week we set some goals and test in real life if algorithms can help us reach those goals. Like can my indecisive foodie sister and I actually choose a restaurant in under an hour? We get really hangry. It's not going to happen tonight, sister. (laughs) I'm going to start the clock. Okay. And we'll note to self-producer Jenna Cagle, find success with online dating. He's tall. He's older. I don't know. Kind of seems full of himself. I'll just like it. Oh, dude, we are connected. Is the way to our hearts and stomachs through computational theory. We put Brian Christian's algorithms to live by to the test. That is next week. Math can be fun. Hear how by subscribing to Note to Self, sharing it wherever you can. Oh, and thank you so much, by the way, for all the lovely and thoughtful feedback about my conversation with Peggy Ornstein. That was last week's episode, which was about how to talk to girls 
not just about sex itself, but about how we think or portray what sexiness even is. I am so glad so many of you found it helpful. Let us know if you are finding it useful in a conversation with a teenage girl in your life. You can always reach us at note to self at WNYC.org or on Twitter or Facebook. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Ariana Tobin, Jenna Cagle, and Joe Plord. We also had help from the lovely Seth Kelly this week. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi.